بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين بينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين باب شروط الصلاة We are doing the chapter the next chapter after مواقيت الصلاة we did the chapter of Adhan We now move on to the third chapter which is the شروط of صلاة which deals with the conditions of of صلاة um, أي شرط in Arabic one شرط many شروط Right, the plural for a shart is shurut. We should know this, these words at least. Like wajibat of salah, we should know. Sunan of salah, the sunnas of salah. We should know arkan of salah, a rukan, arkan. And we should know shart or shurut of salah. A shart of salah is, for example, or the shurut of salah are so many. Um, so what is a shart? It's a condition. Right, a, a precondition for an act of worship to be valid, for an act of worship to be valid or accepted, these conditions have to be fulfilled. The preconditions or the conditions of the salah have to be, they have to be fulfilled. If they are not fulfilled, then that act of worship is then null and void, will not be accepted. It is batil, right? So if the 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 conditions of salah are Let's say seven, for example, then all seven conditions of salah have to be fulfilled before we can make the salah. Are these shurut found in the Quran? Are they found in the Quran and Sunnah? Do you find them where Allah says, or the Prophet says in a hadith, the conditions of salah are seven, or they are nine, or they are five? Do we find them like this? We won't find them like this. Just like you don't find them for any act of worship. Shurut of tahara, shurut of Wudu, uh, uh, right? Uh, zakah, you won't find them. So where do they come from? They come from the ulama. Did the ulama make them up? No. Where do they come from? They are derived from the Quran and Sunnah, right? And as we will see tonight, how the ulama derived them, right? We will see from the hadith the Prophet says something or he teaches us some type of a lesson, and from that we learn that this is therefore a condition of the salah. This is how the ulama did it. By following the texts of the Quran and Sunnah, they could then clearly derive and say, okay, uh, to summarize, to make things easy for people, we can summarize the conditions of salah into so many. As opposed to people knowing all of the evidences, which ayah and which hadith, and what did the hadith say? As opposed to this, this to make things easy for the people, this is what we found from the Quran and Sunnah. These are the conditions of salah. And these are the wajibat of salah. And these are the arkan of salah. And the rest is the sunnahs of salah. This is why the ulama did this. To make it easy for people who don't know the, the Quran and sunnah in detail. This is how, this is why they basically did this. Tayyib. So we look at the first hadith in the chapter, which is narrated from Ali ibn Talq. Ali ibn Talq, radiyallahu anhu, he said, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إذا فسى أحدكم في الصلاة فلينصرف وليتوضأ وليعيد الصلاة رواه الخمسة والصحة ابن حبان علي بن ابن طلق 
He narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Ida fasa ahadukum fi salah, if one of you passes wind in salah, if one of you breaks wind in the salah, falian sarif, then he must move. He must get up. He can can continue with the salah. He has to get up and leave. Waliyatawadda, and then he has to take wudu. Waliyudi salah, and then he has to." Repeat the salah. He has to repeat the the salah, um, and this applies to any salah, right? When the hadith says in the salah, it means any salah, not a fard or a sunnah or any particular salah, any salah. Falian sarif meaning he has to get up from the musalla because his salah is now batil, is now null and void. Waliyatawadda, he now has to take wudu because he broke his wudu by passing wind. He broke his wudu. He has to start the salah from over. So if you prayed three raka'at of dhuhr, you then broke your wudu, you take wudu, you come back, you cannot join with the jama'ah again. You cannot join, sorry, sorry, you cannot join with the imam and be in where you left off. So let's say you've, you, you, the imam is in the second raka'ah, you break your wudu and you leave, you come back, and he's still in the second raka'ah, for example. Right? And you join in and you say, well, I prayed the first raka'ah already. The second raka'ah I broke. Now I'm joining him again and I'm still in the second, so I just continue. We are left off. No, you have to start your salah from as new. So if the imam is still praying, you can join him. But whatever you have now missed, you have to make up. It's now like, it's as if you are joining the salah for the first time. It's as if you are joining the salah for the first time. If he is done, of course, you have to make a new salah on your own or with the second jama'ah if there is and so forth. From the benefits of the hadith, right? Why did this author, rahimahullah, why did he bring this hadith here in the chapter of conditions of salah? He brought this hadith in the chapter of the conditions of salah. To prove what? You need to be in a state of wudu when making salah. So from the conditions of salah, we can say is tahara. You need to be in a state of ritual purity. Yani you're in a state of wudu before you can make salah. This is what the hadith proves. Because the hadith says if you break the wudu, if you pass wind, you have to leave. You have to get up. And you have to go and take wudu again and then start your salah from over. Repeat the salah basically. So this proves the first condition, which is tahara. The first condition, and here we can see how it's derived. So the hadith doesn't say the tahara is a condition. It's derived from, it's understood from the hadith. The tahara is a condition for, um, for salah. You have to be in a state of wudu. Tayyip. So if a person prays when he's in a state of Ritual impurity. Yani he does not have wudu. Then, is his salah accepted? It's not accepted. What if he does this purposefully? It's not just not, a, it's actually sinful. It's a major sin. Some ulama went to the extent and they said, it's disbelief. If you make salah purposefully without wudu, how so? They say you are mocking Allah Azza wa Jal. And you are belittling the Sharia and Salah and Allah. Because you know the rule. You know there's no, there's no Salah without wudu. 
and you're still showing Allah that yeah, I'm making salah without wudu. This is belittling Allah Azza wa Jal and the deen. So some ulama said this is like disbelief. Majority of the ulama said it's not disbelief, but it's a major sin. It is a, a major sin. Right? As for a person who does this forgetfully or out of ignorance, then there's no sin upon him. We don't say he's forgiven, we say there's no sin upon him. Because he's, he's, he forgot. He didn't know. Or he was genuinely ignorant. Right? In that case, no sin upon him, but he has to repeat that salah. So if somebody reminds him and says to him, you know, you need to make wudu, or did you take wudu? And he realizes, I did not take wudu, and my wudu was broken, there's no sin upon him, but he has to go then and take wudu and repeat the salah. Right? This is no sin upon him, he's, he is excused, but he has to repeat that salah as soon as he realizes that he was not in a state of wudu. Um, another benefit from the hadith is وجوب الانصراف من الصلاة إذا أحدث الإنسان It's fard that a person after he breaks his wudu in the salah that he gets up. You're not allowed to continue the salah. You have to move and leave. This is also wajib. Right? So the moment you break wudu or you realize hey, I don't actually have wudu. It could be in the salah and you realize I don't have wudu. I forgot to take wudu. In that case it's fard that you you leave the musalla. You leave the prayer area. Even if you're in the middle of a saf. Even if you are in the middle of the rows, it's okay. You get up and you walk through the row. <coughs> you walk through the row. And this doesn't count as breaking people's salah. Because in this case, if it's jama'ah like this, then only that applies to the, to the imam. That nobody's allowed to walk in front of the imam. If it's a jama'ah, <coughs> Then you are allowed to walk through the roads. Obviously not unnecessarily. Right? But in this case it's a necessity. There's a need for you to leave. So you go and you take wudu. And in hope you can still get the jama'ah. You can maybe if you get there quickly take wudu and come back. You can still get the jama'ah. The point is the hadith says You have to then get up and leave. <coughs> um, what if somebody says I'm shy? To do this. He says, look, I don't want to leave because people's going to know I broke my wudu and I'm a bit shy of that. Let me say, this is not something to really be shy over. This can happen to everybody and anybody. Right? It happens to many people. So it's not something really to be shy over. That's point number one. Point number two is, <coughs> if you are still shy, if you still overcome with, you know, shyness, what should you do? You should cover, put your hand over your face, over your nose, and walk out. As if your nose is bleeding. is bleeding. As if your nose is is bleeding. And in this way, you make, yani, out of your shyness. Remember, this is not Riyah. Yeah? This is not showing off anything. This is just to cover your shyness. So immediately you can grab your nose, lift it up, and make like your nose is bleeding. And you walk out. This is established. Right? We can do this, no problem. We can do this, no problem. If you feel you are too shy just to turn around and walk. Remember, even if you just walked, it doesn't mean you broke you. It could mean that you didn't have wudu. So there's, there's no need to be shy. You just get up, go back, take wudu, come back. 
it's over. You, you know, I think that's more your nafs telling you, hey, people, or shaitan can even be there and tell you, you know what? Just make the salah finish, it's okay. Just continue. This is where you need to tell yourself, no, I, I don't have wudu. I go, take wudu and come back. What is there to be shy about in reality? Right? This is something part of human nature, even if you did pass wind. Um, but otherwise, it's still an excuse for you. Make as if you, if your nose is bleeding, and then walk out. Um, but what's important is that you don't continue with the salah. That you don't continue with the salah. If you continue with the salah, you are then sinful. You can then be sinful. Especially if you are the imam. You broke your wudu, or you don't have wudu, and you are leading the salah. Huh? You are, your salah is battling and you're leading the people. You understand? Allah is not going to punish the people because they don't know. If they know, then that's a different story. Right? But obviously they're not going to pray behind somebody when they know that person doesn't have wudu. In this case, you are carrying their sin. Or at least your own sin. And <coughs> Allah is not going to punish them. They don't know. Their salah is accepted. But you, of course, are extremely sinful in this case. Um, this hadith also proves, Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah says, the great status of the salah. It proves the status of salah. Such that you need to be in a complete state of purity from start to finish. Ritual purity. Not clean physically. As we're sitting here, we're all clean. Right? Physically, you're not najis. That's not enough for salah. That's okay to sit in a class. It's okay to walk in the masjid. Right? Without wudu, it's okay. It's okay to recite Quran even without wudu. No problem. Make dhikr fast. All of this ibadat, it's okay to do it without, without wudu. But not salah. Salah, you need to have wudu. From start, from Allahu Akbar, till the taslim. You must be in a... Comp- this is the status of salah. It has something special about it. And the reality is, if we understood the importance and we prayed appropriately... We gave salah, it's haq. Then we will see the status of the salah. Rasulullah sallallahu after all his tests and trials, his difficulties that he went through, he used to say that the coolness of my eyes was placed in, in salah. When he stood on the musallah and he said, Allahu Akbar, all of his hardships was, it disappeared. It was just him and Allah azza wa jal. Right, when he's, it was time for salah, he would say to Bilal, Give the adhan or the iqama arihna biha so that we can find comfort in it. Give the adhan and the iqama so that we can find peace and ease and comfort in it. This is how the sahaba were when it was adhan or iqama. Alhamdulillah. Dunya is put aside worries and difficulties and distress and it's, it's behind us. It's time for salah. It's time for us in Allah now. When we say Allahu Akbar, it's between us and Allah Azza wa Jal. Urwat ibn Az-Zubayr. Urwah ibn Az-Zubayr. What happened with him? He, he became sick. A sickness called Akali, or Akila, sorry. Right? This sickness affects one's bones. And his leg had to be amputated. 
this sickness is when you, you get afflicted and basically his leg had to be amputated. So what did he say? What did Urwa say before his leg was amputated? Nope. He said, wait for me for the time of Salah. He said, you do this operation when I'm in Salah. And not, no, not, no, no other time. There was no anesthetics and no going into a, you know, putting you out and then doing the operations. It was different those days, you know, subhanallah. So he says, when I enter the salah, then you, you, you take my leg. Then you do the operation. Because when he was in salah, he says he forgets everything. This is a different level of salah. So when they were in the prayer, there was nothing else be, between them and Allah Azza wa Jal. There was no thinking about anything else. This was the ultimate khushu' that they had. That khushu' of complete focus. Whatever happened around them, it didn't actually affect them or disturb them. This is, subhanallah, a higher level of khushu' and focus of the salah. So salah has a grand status in the, in the sharia. Another benefit of the hadith is, um, <coughs> whoever breaks the hudu must start the salah from, from view. As we said, you can't join the salah and carry on from the second or third. You start from the first rak'ah again. Um, what about tawaf? Yeah, Ibn Uthaymin brings the whole discussion on tawaf. Uh, the issue of breaking wudu in tawaf. Right? Is it the same thing? So if you break your wudu, that means you got to get out the haram, take wudu, come back in and start new. Right? And even the famous is that it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. Especially with Zahma. And it's Hajj. It's difficult. The Tawaf already is taking long. Now you break your wudu, you got to get out the crowd, take wudu, come back in, start over. Extremely difficult. He says this is one of the reasons why he gives the fatwa of Ibn Taymiyyah that says there's no need for wudu in tawaf. This is of Yoshan Ibn Taymiyyah. When you, take tawaf, when you do tawaf, there's no need for wudu. But I'm not going to go into that discussion of the evidences and all that. Let's stick to the salah issue. Right? But he brings it under the same part here about breaking the tawaf in the middle of wudu. Or when you break your wudu, do you start a new tawaf or not? He says you can continue and finish the tawaf, no problem. طيب. The next hadith from Aisha رضي الله عنها عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يقبل الله صلاة حائض إلا بخمار رواه الخمسة إلا النساء وصحيب خزيمة In the hadith the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم says that Allah does not accept the salah of a حائض except if she is wearing a khimar except if she is wearing a khimar First issue is, what is a ha'id? What is a, what's meant by ha'id in this hadith? So, usually ha'id is one who has ha'id. Right? A ha'id is one who has ha'id. A menstruating woman. A menstruating woman. But in this hadith, this is not exactly what's meant. What's meant here is a woman who has previously experienced menstruation. She has previously experienced, it doesn't mean that she is currently in a state of menstruation. It means she has previously experienced menstruation in her life. Yani she is baligh. That's basically what it means. She is 
she's matured. She's a grown woman. She's not a small young girl any longer, right? She has experienced hayd. This is what the hadith is speaking about. So the hadith says that her salah is not accepted except with a khimar. What is a khimar? Any ideas? The female should know this one. Khimar. A head covering. That's what we would say a scarf. Today people use the word hijab. Hmm? Here's your hijab. They mean your, your scarf. Isn't that so? A khimar is the right word. A khimar is that which covers the head. A head covering. Right? Um, and this is usually in our custom what we, we term a scarf. Where people cover their head and their necks. With a piece of cloth. This is what we call a, a scarf. Um, so the hadith says, Salah is not accepted for a woman. It is ha'idin. Yani she experienced med- she's, she's mukallaf. Except if she has a, a khimar on her head. Except if she is wearing a scarf. Tayyip. So what does the hadith prove? What's the benefit of the hadith? Firstly that a woman. <coughs> huh? Okay. Must cover themselves, yes. If a woman reaches uh, puberty, it's wajib upon her to make salah and to cover her entire head. To cover her entire head because of the hadith. The hadith only mentions the head though. What about the rest of the body? Obviously the rest of the body is not mentioned because it's known. It's well known, right? There's no need to mention the rest of the body because it's ma'loom. It's well known. What about the face? The head is mentioned, but the face is not mentioned. Right? So the face is not mentioned because we know from other ahadith that the face is not wajib to cover in salah. The face is not wajib to cover in salah. This is known. Even according to the ulama that say, a woman must cover her face. Right? As we know, there's difference of opinion. Some ulama say you must cover the face. Some ulama say you don't have to cover the face. As for those who say you must cover the face, even they say in salah you don't have to cover the face. Right? But they make an exception and they say if you are in a public area where there is not mahram men, then you should still cover the face. That's another issue on its own. Um, What about the hands and the feet? Hands open, feet covered. Okay. Um, and again, this is another issue with the ulama differed. Right? The scholars differed over this issue, over covering the hands and the feet within the salah. Some ulama said it's fard to cover both. Some ulama said it's not wajib to cover. Right? And this is probably the clearest view. The clearest view is that it is not far to cover. Although the closest view to caution is, is that it's better to cover. The view that is closer to caution is that it is better to cover. Right? Especially the feet. Especially the feet because we're going to get to a hadith very soon tonight. Which speaks about the feet. Which speaks about the issue of the, which speaks about the, issue of the, of the feet.
Um, <coughs> so we say it's closer to caution to cover the feet. That would be best, I would say. And the hands, if possible, if not possible, if it's difficult, then no harm in praying with the hands open. Bi'idnillahi ta'ala. Thirdly, the hadith differentiates between a young girl and a girl that has reached puberty. Right? The hadith clearly mentions ha'idin, a woman who has menstruated. A woman who has menstruated in her life. Right? Which means, if it's a girl who did not menstruate, she's 9, 10, 11 years old, 12 years old. She never menstruated, she is not yet balig. In that case, if she prays without a head covering, it's fine. In that case, if she prays without a head covering, then, then there's no problem. Because she is not yet at that age where she needs to pray with a, with a head covering. Um, <clears throat> but this is, we're speaking here specifically about, about Salah. As to the issue Ibn Uthaymin says of looking, yani when it comes to being looked at, a woman who's being, a girl who's being looked at, then should she cover her body, should she cover her, her, her head and so forth? He says, if she reaches an age where it's possible that men could look at her and it could become a fitna, then she should at least start to cover her, her aura. She should then cover her aura. A three, four, five, a six-year-old girl? Obviously no, right? But once she gets a little bit older and she becomes taller and her, you know, she, her body starts to change, in that case, we say it's, it's better for her to start covering, you know, and small girls wear these short dresses and sleeveless tops and those things. That's no problem for a small girl, right? But as they start getting older, also part of tarbiyah, part of the tarbiyah, we should start to cut this out now. Because as she's starting to approach puberty, she should already be, you know, cultivated upon that tarbiyah, that this is not going to be the way that a Muslim addresses. So those things should be cut out from a young age already, so that when she reaches puberty, she's ready to, to be dressed appropriately. And even if she's not yet a baligh, she is not a fitna for any youngster or any person, right? Some girls grow big, you know, and they're still not uh, a baligh and so forth. So in this case, we say it's best that she is you know, covered in a hijab and so forth. <coughs> and the last benefit here Ibn Uthaymin mentions is This is well known that if she has a hayl, this means she is baligh. This means that she is baligh. Is there any questions on this hadith? طيب, so what do we learn from this hadith? In terms of conditions of salah, aura must be covered. Part of the aura of a, a, a woman is without a doubt her head and her neck. And this is what the khimar covers. Covers the head, which means what? The entire head. Right? If we say excluding the face, it means excluding just this, the, 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 your faces basically from your, your one ear to the other. And... Your curvature of your forehead, the top of the forehead to the bottom of the chin. That's the face. Everything else needs to be covered, which includes your ears, includes the neck, the, the bottom of the neck, 
right? All of their hair and so forth. All of this must be covered. As this is part of the, the awrah. Type so part of conditions of salah is then covering of the awrah. Covering of the, the awrah. We spoke about tahara as well. What else did we mention? What is the other hadith? Now we're going to get to the feet. It's also our issue. So we did ta'ara so far and awra, right? Nothing else. No other condition. The next hadith is from Jabir, radiallahu anhu, anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala lahu. That the Prophet said to him, إِذَا كَانَ الثَّوْبُ وَاسِعًا فَالْتَحِفْ بِهِ يَعْنِي فِي الصَّلَاةِ He says that if the thawb that you are wearing is Wasi' It's big If it's a big thawb فالتحف به Then you should wrap yourself in it And he was speaking about the The salah So Okay that's the one hadith The next the one in Muslim says فخالف بين طرفيه وإن كان ضيقا فاتزر به متفق عليه This hadith in Bukhari and Muslim And if it is ضيقا if your clothing or your garment that you have is tight or it's uh, not big basically it's not very broad or it's not very wide it's something that's very thin or very small basically then you should use it as a waist wrapper you should use it as a a waist mini cover the bottom part of your of your body so the first part of the hadith says if it's something big Right? You should use it as, as if it's a blanket that you wrap yourself up with. You know, you cover your whole body with it. Like a big shawl or a little blanket or, you know, like a quilt or something that you cover yourself with. Covers your whole body. As he, was, he said this to, to Jabir. Um, so, Khalif Bayna Tarafayn Muslim, it says, you should be between the two ends of the garment. Understand? So you wrap yourself in the garment. But if this garment of yours is ضيقاً, it's something tight or very short, then فتزر به, cover the bottom part of your body. Which means you're speaking about a person who's in a state or is on a trip, wherever he is, he only has one garment with him. Only has one thing to wrap himself with. And that thing's not very big. What are you going to wrap? The hadith says wrap the bottom part of your body. Wrap just the, the lower part and don't basically worry about the, the top. Meaning this person will be topless. And of course we are speaking to Jabir, he's a male. We are speaking to men in this hadith. Make it an izar, which is your waist wrapper. Again the benefits of this hadith is what? In terms of conditions of salah, the awrah must be covered. The hadith is proving that the awrah must be covered. That you need to cover yourself with something in the salah. If you only have something small, cover your, your lower part of your body, meaning the navel to the knee. Have that part at least covered and then you can make salah because that's your awrah. Right? For the men, that's the awrah. Right? So this is without a doubt a condition of the salah, covering the awrah. Covering the awrah. As Allah also says in the Quran, Ya Bani Adama, khudu zinatakum inda kulli masjid. O son of Adam, Beautify yourself or take your beautification in the kulli masjidin with every masjid. This actually means with every salah. And yet beautification is 
your clothing. So the hadith is basically saying, beautify yourself for every salah. Or the salah is the ayah of the Quran. Beautify yourself for every salah. Cover your body. Make yourself appropriate for salah. For every salah. Um, and of course the previous hadith also proved this, the hadith of Aisha, about the khimar, that a um, person has to have the aura covered for salah. And also logically we can think, if you are not going to stand naked inside of, in front of another person, what about standing in front of Allah Azza wa Jal in salah? Um, another benefit of this hadith is, if a person covers the lower body, right, the lower part of the body, which, as we said, is from the navel to the knee. That means it's from the, the bottom of the navel to the top of the knee. That's what that means. Which means the knee is not included in the, the awrah. So if you prayed in the three-quarter, for example, and it rose up when you sat, and it just sat on the middle of your knee, that's sufficient. Because your knee is not part of the awrah. It's until the knee. And it's from the navel, which means from the bottom of the navel, which means the navel is not included in the awrah of a male. Right? So if you cover this, your salah is sahihah. Your salah is valid. Your salah is then um, valid. And Ibn Taymin says that Jabi anhu, the Sahabi, he did this. And he did this purposefully. He made salah like this purposefully. And some people even asked him, no, like, why did you... Why are you doing this? And he said, I want to teach those who don't know. Like you, he said to a person like you, I want to teach people this. This person didn't know. So he said, I want to teach people like you this. You know, that people can know this is actually sufficient for the, for the salah. Um, of course, what is best? To cover the whole body. This is always what we want to strive to do. So this doesn't mean, if you stand in your, in your room, you take a towel around your body, you wrap it around your midsection, so your aura is covered, and you make salah like this. You know, this is not preferred. This is not what we are saying. This is definitely not what we are saying. If you're at home, you have more than enough clothing. خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنْدَ كُلِّ مَسْجِدٍ Beautify yourself for every masjid, for every salah. Dress appropriately for every salah. You know? You stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Stand with respect. Stand ready to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to dress like that, we say is makruh. It's disliked. It's not preferred. It's not preferred. In fact, some ulama say it's not permissible. Some ulama say it's not permissible. And we're going to see in the next hadith why they say that. Right? So definitely don't do it purposefully. Short sleeve is fine. It's accepted. Purpose is perfectly accepted. There is a Hanafi view that says no short sleeve in the salah, but that requires evidence. They need to provide us with an evidence for that. Right? So what is preferred? Cover your body. And stand, you know, respectfully in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with, 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 you know, in the best possible manner. As the ayah says, خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنَّ كُلِّ مَسْجِدٍ Your zina, that beautification in the ayah means your clothing. So dress appropriately, the ayah is saying, for every salah. This is why we try to wear thawb. Thawb is the best thing to wear. It's neat, it's tidy, it looks nice. It covers the awrah. It's respectful. That's why it's the best thing to wear. But if you wear pants and a shirt, 
Your aura is covered. You look decent. No problem. No, no problem at all. Salah is valid and accepted. Right? Insha'Allah. The next hadith is also narrated in Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu which says لا يصلي أحدكم في الثوب الواحد ليس على عاتقه منه شيء This hadith says سلام لا يصلي أحدكم في الثوب الواحد None of you should pray in one thawb Thawb al-wahid In one single thawb Laysa ala atiqihi minhu shay Which has nothing that covers his shoulder Which has nothing that covers his shoulder So this hadith is slightly different to the previous hadith In that it tells us that the shoulder now needs to be Needs to be covered And if you are wearing one garment Then that garment must cover it must cover the shoulder. This is what this hadith is basically um, indicating to us. And again, this is why some ulama said that the shoulders must be covered in salah. They took this hadith and said, this is why, uh, uh, or the hadith says, that you cannot pray, you should not pray in a thawb which does not cover the shoulder. This is what they are summarizing the hadith to mean. Uh, so some ulama said, you have to cover the shoulder, it's fart. Some ulama said it's not fard, only in fard, only in the fard salah and not in the sunnah salah. Some ulama said no, this is recommended. The hadith is saying that it is recommended, it is mustahab, right, to cover the shoulders. Meaning, this is out of perfection of salah. It's not out of the validity of salah. So what's meant by this hadith is, no person prays with, in one thawb without covering the shoulder except that his salah is Incomplete, or it's not perfect, it's not complete. This is basically what they understood the hadith to mean, right? So, again, some ulama said the your salah is not accepted if the shoulders are not covered, and other ulama said it is accepted, but you have less reward because your shoulders are not covered. And this is how they differed over the hadith. The point for us to take here is that. Cover the shoulder whenever you can. Don't make salah without covering the shoulders. Unless it's a, it's a place of, in a time of necessity. Unless it's, it's impossible for you. There's no other way. In that case we say, pray without covering the shoulder and it will be accepted. But otherwise, make sure you cover the shoulder. Make sure you cover the shoulders when um, making salah. Often you will see in the haram, in Makkah, People pray with the shoulders open and this is because of the ihram. Of course the male or the ihram of the men is the two white cloths or two cloths at least. The bottom obviously will be on, covered. The, the top is where some people are sometimes negligent or sometimes they expose their shoulders when they make salah. Again, we say even in that state you should try and have it covered. If it becomes uncovered in the salah, inshallah no harm. But still try and keep it covered and Allah knows best. Another issue that comes up here is the issue of covering the head in salah. What about the men when it comes to covering the head in salah? Is this a sunnah? Is it a fard? Is it? What is the ruling on this? 
Ibn Uthaymin says this goes back to the ayah which says, خُدُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنْدَ كُلِّ مَسْجِدٍ Right? Take that beautification in your clothing for every salah. So including the covering of the head. Meaning, the head issue goes back to custom. In our custom, is it something part of attire that we cover the head for salah? If it is, then we say you should cover the head. If it's not, then we say there's no need to cover the head. So, in most countries, or let's not say most countries, but at least in our country, we should say that going to the masjid, making salah, the custom is to cover the head. The custom is to wear a afiz or taqiyya, it's called the taqiyya in Arabic, to wear this on the head. Right? This is a sunnah of the people in our custom. So we say this should be um, adopted by us as well. So that we don't stand out to be different. Right? Um, and so we say it's recommended to cover the head in salah. It's a recommended, not a fard, but it's a recommended based on our custom. You might go to a different place where nobody wears a taqiyya. Nobody covers the head. In that case, not recommended. Understand? Not recommended to cover the head. You go to Saudi, they wear the shimag. That's a head covering. You understand? It's good to wear that. It's good to wear that. Not a fard. To wear it is, is, is fine. No problem. You understand? Even if you just wore normal, you still fit in no problem. So in those cases, still over there we say it's recommended to wear the head covering and not to just ignore it. And not to just ignore it and Allah knows best. So this ruling goes back to the ruling of custom. That the Prophet in his time used to cover his head. His custom was to wear the an imama, a turban. It was the custom of the Arabs of that time. That's what he wore. That's what he wore. Our custom is different, so we try and wear according to our custom. And that is something that's recommended and Allah knows best. Not like the Saudis wear it. That's not a turban. That's a different style altogether. The Sudanese one is probably a bit more to the Sunnah. The Tablighi is also some of them. Some of them. Um, but he had a tail at the back. For example, that's one of the ways some wore turban and so forth. But the issue of the turban, as we say, is it's customary. You know, we don't say that you should wear a turban. It depends on your custom. If your Muslims in your area all wear turbans, then you should wear a turban. If they don't, then you don't. You understand? In our custom, again, I think it's broad in scope. If you wear a turban, there's no harm. If you wear a fez, no harm. You understand? Even if you don't wear, there's no real harm. But it's, some people might become upset. Some people, especially older people, they, they become upset. You know, they take offense. They why don't you wear to the masjid? So, and that's why we say it's best to wear, it's better to wear, you know. Um, so, nah, but it depends where you are. Some places you can go either way because communities are mixed. So, there's no, there's no harm in any of that, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. And Allah knows best. طيب, the next hadith from Um Salama, radiallahu anha, anha sa'alatin nabiyyi sallallahu salama, atusalli al-mar'atu fi dir'in wa khimarin bi ghayri izarin. Um Salama, the wife of the Prophet she asked the Prophet if a woman can make salah in a dir' and a khimar, we know it's a khimar, 
without an izar, without a waist wrapper, without a waist wrapper. So he said, إذا كان الدرع سابغا يغطي ظهور قدميها أخرجه أبو داود وصح ابن وصح الأئمة وقفه. So he said, if the dir is flowing. Now what is a dir? A a dir is like a long dress, like an abaya, something similar to an abaya, like the woman wear today. So it flows. Prophet said, if it is sabigan, meaning it flows, it it's 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 you know, um, and it covers. Sabigan, it flows and it covers the whole body. Then it's fine. And he said it has to be yugati zuhura qadamiha. It has to cover the the top of her feet. If the dirr covers the top of her feet, then that is fine. Meaning that she can pray in that dirr. So like we said, like an abaya or like a long dress, which covers her feet, and she has a khimar on, then this is sufficient. Then basically the hadith says that is fine for her to make salah in this type of attire, in this type of um, attire, right? First issue on this hadith is, Ibn Hajar says, وَصَحَّحَ الْأَئِمَّةُ وَقْفَهُ The hadith is in Abu Dawood, and he says the imams of hadith, they authenticated the hadith in a mawquf fashion. So what does that mean? Firstly, in terms of types of hadith, right? We get a marfu' hadith, which is a hadith which reaches the Rasulullah Marfu' it reaches the Prophet Then we get mawquf, it reaches a companion. It's the words of a companion. And then we get maqtu' which means it's the words of a tabi'i. It's the words of a, of a tabi'i. Understand? So this hadith Ibn Hajar says is a mawquf hadith, which means it's the words of who? Of a companion, not the words of the Prophet. So in this case, this is the words of Um Salama and not the words of Rasulullah. So this is her saying if you pray in a dress that reaches the top of your feet, it covers the top of your feet, and you have a khimar, that's sufficient. You can make salah in this way. Understand? This is not the words of the Prophet, it's the words of who? Um Salama. Correct. But this is where the difference of opinion comes in amongst ulama. So some ulama say, if it's not from the Prophet we can't use it as evidence. Some ulama say, no, we have to look at what's being said. If they are saying something that they must have learned from the Prophet then we accept it as an evidence. You understand? Not tacit approval. It just means that she must have learned it from him. Where else did she get it from? She would not make it up. They would never make up things in the deen. They were too great and too trustworthy for that. So, there are certain, many, many examples of this, where a sahabi would say something, and the ulama would say, that hadith, even though it only reaches him in the chain of narration, there is no way he could have known that information, except if he knew it from the Prophet So they say that hadith is like a marfu' hadith. It's like a hadith that's from the Prophet Understand? But there are other times where Sahabi says something and it's not necessarily something that he got on the... It could have just been his opinion. 
It can just be his opinion, you understand? So sometimes Sahaba have difference of opinion in matters of fiqh. So sometimes it could just be something that they said. This is what they viewed to be the issue. And sometimes you have a difference of opinion amongst the Sahaba in fiqh. So we can't just say because the companion said it, we take it. Because they might have differed on the issue. You understand? So we firstly need to, be, to look at what's being said. If it's something that's clearly, this can only be known from the Prophet, we accept it. If it's something that's open to interpretation, where there's ijtihad involved, then we say, well, we need to look at the issue deeper, deeper than this. You understand? And here the ulama differed. And this is why they differ over the feet. So some said, look, it's not from the Prophet Other ulama said, it is from the Prophet She got this from the Prophet You understand? And hence they say, the feet must be covered. Perhaps, but... This wording says that you ask the Prophet But what we are saying is, this wording could be weak. The authentic version is that she said it from herself. You understand? There's different versions of the hadith. Um, Ala kulli hal. What do we learn from the hadith? We learn that it's permissible for a woman to make salah in a dir'a. Right? With condition that it reaches the top of her feet. It covers her feet. Right? So what about a woman who does not make salah or she makes salah in a, in a dir'a? Or abaya that doesn't cover her feet. Right? So a lot of abayas will just stop on top of the foot here, top of, just below the ankle, on the ankle. Right? And it doesn't cover her feet. What then? Right? This is where the difference of opinion comes in. This is where the difference of opinion comes in. Some said she must cover, some said she mustn't. This is where we say to be on the side of caution, on the safe side, as we can see the hadith is there. Um Salama said it. You understand? In that case, cover the feet. In that case, cover the, the feet. This is what we say. Especially if you, if you can, before the salah, make sure your feet covered and then you pray. Make sure the feet covered and then you pray. Okay? If you prayed without covering, then we won't say go back and repeat the salah. Unless you are of the view that this is the words of Rasulullah and therefore it's a condition that the feet must be covered. Again, it's difference of opinion. So some ulama is going to say it must be covered. If you didn't cover, you must repeat the salah. Ibn Uthaymin is saying here, yeah, his conclusion is that cover the feet. If you didn't cover, we will not tell you to repeat the salah. We will not tell you to repeat the salah. Right? Again, I would say cover the feet. Treat your feet as if, as if it's awrah. Treat the feet as if it's an, uh, as if it's awrah. Right? So if you are out in public, cover the feet. If you are making salah, cover the feet. And this is definitely closer to caution. Nobody's going to blame you for this. If you didn't cover it, people might blame you. People might come to you in the masjid and say, hey, your feet open. Go cover your feet. You can't make salah like this. You know? And you might get a lecture in the masjid. You might get... Huh? As I'm saying, this is better to cover the feet. Without a doubt, it is closer to caution to cover the, the feet, especially based on this hadith. 
don't cover it purposely? This is like I say, man, uh, it's difficult for me to say you'll be sinful. Actually, walking public. Short socks. I don't know if Short socks? The woman sometimes wears short socks. Uh? Ankles is open. Well, that's not feet. That's ankles. Ankles is aura. That's this is a big difference between your ankle and your shins and your feet. Right? We are talking about the foot and not the ankles. Are you with me? Ankles, ankles, we all agree, must be covered. Right? Ankles, by agreement, must be covered. Not allowed to wear three quarters with the with whatever or an abaya that comes up and it shows the ankles. This is well known. A lot of Muslim women, even in Saudi and those places, for some reason, for some reason, they like to show the ankles. It's like... I don't know what, what's the point of wearing a long abaya. Face is covered and your and your ankles are showing. You know, it's like Subhanallah. Where's the logic in that? Even I don't know. Uh, Allah knows best what what exactly is going through their minds at that point. But the point is, no doubt the ankles must be covered. The foot is a place of difference of opinion, right? Um, my advice is be on the side of caution wherever you can. Be on the side of caution. You don't want to be walking and you're getting sin. You don't want to be walking and Allah is punishing you for every step you take. Right? So always try and be on the side of caution. Cover the feet where you can. And wearing of pants is walking? Most of is not permissible. Most of say it's not permissible and Allah knows best. Tayyip, we're going to get more to the issue of awrah now. Okay? Um... Another point of benefit from the hadith is Butunul Qadamain Laysa bi awrah. The bottom of the feet is not an awrah. Because what does the hadith say? It must cover the top of the foot. She said it must cover the top of the foot. So let's say for example, it's covered and in sujood. So she's got no socks on. The abaya or the dirr goes over the foot. Covers the top of the foot as she's standing. And in sujood, what happens? The sole of the foot, or the bottom of the foot, is exposed. Right? In, according to this hadith, there's no problem. Because the hadith only mentioned the, the top of the foot. This is, this is not speaking about the mahram or, or in front of men. This is just speaking in general, in salah. You are speaking about the aura for salah. Not about if there's men around or not. This doesn't actually matter. We are speaking, if you are praying alone between you and Allah, we say cover the top of the foot, based on this hadith. If you got no socks on and the bottom shows, this is no problem. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Another point of benefit is Jawazu nuzulu thawbil mar'i ila asfal min al-ka'b. It's permissible for the dress of a woman to drop below her ankle. It's permissible for women's dresses to go over the ankle. Right? As opposed to Men, right? The ruling for men is, it's not allowed to go over the ankle. Your clothing, your, your pants and your thobe is not supposed to go below the ankle, right? This is the ruling for, for men only. But clearly this hadith says it must cover her foot. Which means it must go beyond the, the ankle, right? But this is not for men, right? This is not for men. For men, we say it must be above the ankle, according to the correct view. Should be below the 
Yes, because the ankle is awrah. Right? So it must be over the ankle. But the point here is, isbal. The issue of isbal is when you wear something over the ankle. Right? There's many hadith that says it's haram. Right? Many hadith. But we say this is for men. And this hadith proves that that's for men only. For a female, it has to go over the ankle. It has to go over the ankle. And this is not a problem for them. It's not a problem for them. So, Ish bin Uthaymin then says that that's the last hadith that we have on the issue of the awrah, right from the book. But now he brings up some of his own issues and he says that ma shurutu satir. What's the condition for the satir, the thing that you are using to cover yourself with? First condition is. It has to be something that's permissible to wear. Right? For example, you are not allowed to wear silk for men. So you cannot wear silk pants and say that ma'ura is covered. This will still be haram. Right? You're not allowed to wear something haram, obviously, to cover your aura. This is still haram. Right? It has to be something that's in itself permissible. In and of itself, it's permissible. So you can't wear um, some pig skin, for example. Uh, some pig skin blanket or whatever, tanned blanket, say, no, this is my, um, I'm using to cover, my, no, this is still haram, right? You have to wear something, firstly, mubah, that is permissible to wear. Second, it has to be tahir. You can't wear something that has najis on it. It has to be tahir, it has to be something clean and pure. You cannot wear something that has najis on it. This is obviously known. Thirdly, an yakuna safiqan, right? Meaning, it's not see-through. You cannot wear something that is considered as a see-through, right? So anything as you can think that uh, a person who walks in front of you and they can see through your pants. You get these cotton pants, for example, that if you're in the light, you can see through it. Understand? This would be not permissible. Your aura is not considered as covered. Your aura is not considered as um, as covered. Another Ibn, uh, example Ibn Uthaymin mentions is, he says many people in, in summer, they wear short pants, like short shorts, right? And this is known, men wear this often, short shorts, right, under your thobe, under the thobe. But if the thobe is very thin and see-through, then technically your aura is not covered. And technically the aura is not covered. So it pays to wear something slightly longer, just in case that thobe is very thin or very see-through, in that case. And again, you get these cotton thobes that are basically see-through. You know, especially if you're out in the light, especially if a little bit of water falls on it, it becomes see-through. You understand? In that case, then it's not sufficient, because it means your aura is not covered. It means your aura is not covered. Um, so for the men, so typically the way a face falls off under their thobe. It depends on the thobe. If you're wearing that thobe over there, with no vest, that's not see-through at all, you know? And it's not something, if I wore this thobe, this is a thick thobe. This is like a winter thobe, you understand? It's made of thick material. So even if I wore nothing under here, nothing at all, no problem in my salah because there's no way this can be see-through. You understand? But the, a summery white thobe, for example, summer white thobe, but not all. 
some of them may be, may be see-through. In that case, we say, better to wear clothing underneath, and then you thaw to make sure that your aura is covered appropriately. So, of course, the aura or the, 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 the satir, the thing that you are using to cover your aura, it has to be, uh, it cannot be see-through. The issue of wearing a pants and those type of garments is the issue of tightness, right? And that it, it, it basically takes the form of, of a body, right? And this is why it's not permissible for females to wear. It's not permissible for females to wear because it takes the form of the body. And it, it's not permissible for anything to take the form of the to take the form of the body, right? For males, it's not permissible to wear um, a tight, tight pants, like a skinny jeans, for example, or a skinny tights, right? Or a skin tight tights, basically, over your thighs and over your groin region, because that's your aura. It, you're not allowed to wear something skin tight. A woman's aura is also her legs. So from her knees to her ankle is aura. You understand? So if she's wearing pants and her, it's basically hugging her figure in any way, this becomes impermissible. And that's why the best thing for a woman is to wear something that's completely loose. Underneath she can wear pants, no problem. Front of her husband and non-mahram or mahram people, there's no problem. But out in public, anything that is basically going to hug her figure, whether it's the top of body or the lower body, this must be avoided. This must be avoided, because that's aura, right? For men, uh, my lower legs is not aura. But the thighs up here, this is aura. So I'm not allowed to wear anything tight up here either. Or well, that's figure hugging over here either. That's permissible. I think if you look at the legs fashion, you've got like some men wear until the knees loose and then below that becomes tight. No problem. No problem. Let's say you're going for a run and you wear the tights, but you don't want to have a tights up here, so you wear another three quarter over that or another short pants that comes till the knee over that. No problem. Because then your aura is not being, it's not tight around the aura. Then this is no problem. But otherwise, nothing tight or nothing figure-hugging can be worn around the aura. This is not permissible. Um, the next hadith is from Amir ibn Rabi'ah, radiallahu anhu, that he said, Kunna ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi He says, I was with the Prophet in a, when it was a layla mudlima, a dark night. فَأَشْكَلَتْ عَلَيْنَا الْقِبْلَةِ So the qibla became a problem. Yani we, they debated. Qibla is this way, others he knows that way, this way. Which means they were obviously on travel. They were not in Medina, they would have known. They were on travel, it was dark outside, cloudy and stuff. And for Fajr, they were disputing, or let's say it was Isha. They disputed where the Qibla was. So they, the problem meaning they discussed and they couldn't um, get a consensus. فَصَلَّيْنَا فَلَمَّا طَلَعَتِ الشَّمْسُ Which means it was Fajr, so they made Salah. Right? 
When the sun came up, they then realized that they prayed not in the direction of the of the Qibla. Now they could see, ah, the sun's coming up. It's not so cloudy anymore. And that's how they used to judge. They looked at the sun. Where's the sun? Where does it rise? Where does it set? Got their bearings. Okay, so the sun must be uh, Qibla is obviously to this way. And so forth. When the sun came up, they realized they were completely out. Understand? فَنَزَلَتْ فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ So the ayah was revealed. فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ Wherever you turn your face towards, then there is the face of Allah. Whichever direction you turn your face, then there is the face of Allah. Right? This hadith is in a tirmidhi and he regarded the hadith as actually as weak. Um, the issue here, of course, is the issue of facing the Qibla. Part of the conditions of Salah is we face the Qibla. And this is also proven from the Quran. The Quran also speaks about this when Allah says, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ Allah says that we see you fa- turning your face to the heavens, O Muhammad. We see you turning your face to the heavens. Like when they reached Medina, the Qibla changed, right? When they were in Mecca, where was the Qibla? When they were in Mecca, they prayed towards the Kaaba. Because they were in Mecca. When they went to Medina, the Prophet found that the people of Medina were facing Jerusalem. The Jews in Medina faced Jerusalem. And so they all faced Jerusalem. But the Prophet desired to face Mecca. And he kept raising his head, looking into the skies, as if waiting, longing for Allah Azza wa Jal to change the Qibla. So Allah says, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ We see you constantly looking into the heavens, you know, waiting. فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكِ قِبْلَةً تَرْضَاهَا So Allah says, we will change you. We will turn you, we will turn you to a Qibla that, that pleases you. We will therefore turn you to a Qibla that, that pleases you. فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ So now turn your face to way towards Masjid al-Haram. وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ فَوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ شَطْرَةِ So wherever you find yourself, O oh Muslims, wherever you find yourselves, direct your face towards that direction. يعني to Masjid al-Haram, to Mecca, to the Kaaba. Right? So the ayah proves that the Kaaba was changed. Oh, sorry, that the Qibla was changed to the Kaaba. That's what the Prophet ﷺ longed for. And Allah gave him what he longed for. In fact, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he says that the Kaaba was always the Qibla. It was always the Qibla of all the Anbiya. They all faced the Kaaba. It was the Jews who changed this law. The Jews came and they changed the law and they wanted to face who? Baitul Maqdis. And then Allah changed it back for the Prophet towards um, the Kaaba. Right? So no doubt this is proven a hadith in the Quran that we have to face the Kaaba for Salah. This is from the conditions of Salah. Um, and this was wisdom in this and a Rahma in this. The wisdom is the whole Ummah is facing one, one spot. And that was the, the first house of Allah, the oldest, the ancient house, Baytul Atiq, the ancient house built by Ibrahim alayhi salam. And I think scientifically proven, it's the dead center of the earth. It's the dead center of the earth. 
the whole ummah faces that center. This is a miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And imagine Allah didn't do this. We'd all go to masjid and we all face different directions. Each one will face where he wants to face. Isn't it so? You'll have some of the grave worshippers facing some saint in India or some eight, some saint in Egypt or some saint in Iraq. You'll have the Shias facing another place in Iran. You'll have this one facing that way, this one facing Jerusalem. Some will face the Qabr of the Prophet and so forth. Allah out of his hikmah and rahmah for us face towards the Kaaba. So no, no, no question about it. We all face towards the, the Kaaba. However, what is fard when we say face the Qibla? What's a fard? The fard firstly is if you're in Mecca, if you're in the Haram, you have to face the Kaaba. No doubt, it's that simple. If you're in Mecca, it's easy to face the direction of the, the Kaaba. If you are anywhere else in the world, then we say face the direction of the Kaaba as close as and as best as you can. So in the, again, back in the day, it was a bit more technical. They had to look into the sky, judge, okay, the sun is here, we are there, sets here, moon is here, the stars are like this, you know, like there's a little bit of astronomy involved and they had to work out, more or less, this is the direction and that's what they would follow. Now things are easy for us, we've got apparatus, we've got compass, we've got this, we've got that, which can tell us that is the exact direction of the Kaaba. That's that, and that's what we follow, right? And even if it's slightly out, there's no harm in this. There's no actual harm in this, as long as you are facing the direction of the Kaaba. You could be actually missing the Kaaba technically. That's not what Allah wants. It's as long as you follow the command as best as you can. As long as you follow the command as best as you can. So if you are traveling, you've got nothing else, what do you do? You try your best to find the Qibla. Whichever way you find your best, you know, we try and agree, okay, and we make salah in this direction. At the end of the day, what does this hadith prove? When they woke up, they, or when the sun came up, they realized that they faced the wrong way. So Allah said, wherever you face, ultimately you are facing the face of Allah. There is the face of Allah. So no problem, it's still accepted. You understand? This obviously doesn't mean that you can face any way. It means you need to firstly try your best to follow, to face the, the Kaaba. If it's wrong, no problem. You understand? You are excused then. But otherwise, um, it's okay if you missed the, 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 the exact direction. This is all part of Shurut of Salayas. So we've discussed Tahara. We've discussed Aura. And now we are on the issue of Qibla. Yes. Okay. Um, no problem. So Qibla is a condition, as we can see. You have to face the Qibla if possible. Is anybody excused from this? No. Facing the Qibla? Okay, you must make effort. For example, somebody who is bedridden. He's lying in bed and he can't move. Right? He faces up basically. There's nothing he can do. In that case, he's excused. Allah says, fear him as much as you can. Keep your duty to Allah as much as you can. 
Allah will not burden you more than what you can bear. Secondly, if you're in battle, you're facing the enemy, you can be in the state of salah. You don't have to change and face other directions. Also, if you are making sunnah on travel, if you are making sunnah on travel, you don't have to face the, the, the Kaaba. We're going to get to the hadith maybe next week with the Prophet Sallam, or he was on his ride, he used to make sunnah salahs, whichever direction he was facing. He didn't get off and face the Kaaba and then carry on. So if you're on a long road, for example, and you feel you want to make uh, you know, salah whilst you're driving, you can make as you are facing the whichever direction the road takes you, basically. The same on an aeroplane. You're in the middle of the sky and you want to make uh, sunnah, you can face any direction, whichever way you are facing. Um, if you cannot stand, then you make it in the chair. You make it in the chair as best as you can. The same, but okay, look, if you are driving yourself, you're obviously not going to take your eyes off the road. You're basically in a slight bow, something to that effect. Something to that effect. Um, طيب, some of the benefits of the hadith. The first benefit, Ibn Taymiyyah says, the Prophet did not know the unseen. If he knew the unseen, he would have known the direction of the Qibla. Like some of the Sufis claim, he knows the unseen. Clearly, he did not know the unseen, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Secondly, whoever does his ishtihad, he tries his best to find the direct, uh, the, the proper direction, this is sufficient for him. Even if it's the wrong direction at the end of the day, he does not have to repeat the salah as was done in this hadith. As was done in this hadith, فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ Any direction you face, at the end of the day, there is the face of, the face of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, again, this has to, you have to do proper ishtihad. You have to make a proper effort, proper effort to find the qibla. So let's say somebody comes in here from uh, the UK and he makes salah that way, to a different direction. And afterwards you tell him, you know what, that's actually the wrong direction. Is that sufficient for you? Ibn Uthaymi says no. Why? He should have asked the people of the house. Because that's part of Istiyad. You don't just make up your mind, look around and say, oh, okay, yeah, we're in the southern hemisphere now, okay, uh, must be this way. You know? If you can ask somebody who knows, then ask them. They know the direction, so ask them. You don't just do your own thing. So we also need to understand what, what's meant by making an effort. If you can ask the appropriate people, ask them. If you can use a certain compass or use Google Maps or whatever, use it and then make your decision. But don't just look into the heavens and say, okay, the clouds are moving that way, I'm going to make this way. You know, if you can ask, then ask. Then you make in the proper way. But otherwise, there's no way else you can know. Then you just do your own ishtihad, you look, you think, okay, this is what I approximated to be, and you make that way. And then it's okay. But otherwise, if you can ask people, if you can use certain apps and things, you should try and use those things. And then make a calculated decision, and then you follow. And Allah knows best. طيب, one issue that he mentions here is that the ayah mentions Whichever direction you face, there is the face of Allah. There is the, the face of Allah. Now, some people might have a problem with this ayah. 
might have a problem with this ayah. Because firstly, you could say from this ayah, Allah is everywhere. Understand? Because wherever you look, it's the face of Allah. So Allah is everywhere. This is where, which we know is some people's belief, although we know it's a false belief. What does the ayah mean? How do we understand this ayah? So some people might say, you say Allah is above the heavens, but now you're saying wherever you face, you, you are facing the, there is the face of Allah. You understand? So some people can use this against you and say, how is this possible? You said Allah is above the heavens. Allah is above his throne. And now you're saying the ayah means, wherever you face, there is the face of Allah. Right? We say the Quran is literal. And these ayat are all literal. We still believe Allah is above the heavens. This doesn't mean Allah is everywhere. Allah said He's above the heavens, so that's where He is. As for what does this mean? It means, even though Allah is above the heavens, even though He is above the heavens, this doesn't mean that He is still in any direction that we face. He can be above us and still in any other direction. Because Allah encompasses everything. The example Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah gives on this is if you are traveling right where is the moon? Is it above you? It's above you right? But as you are traveling the moon is above you but sometimes you look to the right it's there. If you turn another direction you look to the left it's there. The same with the sun. The sun is above you. But as you are traveling, it's always, it's still with you. doesn't mean it's around, it's, in, it's everywhere. It means if you look there, the sun is there. You look this way, the sun is there. You look this way, the sun is there. So Allah Azza wa Jal can be above us and still in every other direction. It doesn't mean that he's above and he doesn't know what's happening to the right and the left. Or he's not, you don't find him to the right and the left. He can be above and he still encompasses everything. So this is... The type of thinking that the ulama have mentioned. Um, so if this is possible for the sun or the moon, which is small creations of Allah, what about Allah? Yeah, the size of Allah subhanahu wa is, is beyond our understanding and, and imagination. If this is possible for the moon and the sun, yes, anything is possible for Allah subhanahu wa we say what we say about Allah, what He said about Himself. Allah is above the heavens. Whichever way you face, you will find Allah there. And that doesn't mean that He is physically in front of me. But Allah is in that direction as well. Allah is in that direction. He still encompasses everything. But where is He? We say He's above the heavens, above His creation. And Allah knows best. Right? The last benefit on this is the issue of Allah's face. Allah has a face. Right? We've discussed this already many times. No need to go into it. We believe he has a face as befits his perfection and his grandeur and his majesty. How? Don't ask the question. That's not permissible. Um, last hadith is a quick one from Abu Rayyad who said that the Prophet said, Ma al-Mashriqi wal-Maghribi qibla. Whatever is between the east and the west is the qibla. Whatever is between the east and the west is qibla. This was specifically being spoken to who? The people in that location. To them over there. When they face the east, you guys, it's Qibla. When you guys face the west, it's Qibla. 
because of where they were situated. The Prophet was basically teaching them, that's the direction, you follow the direction of the Kaaba, that's it. Even though you might be slightly out, it's the direction for you, the east, for you, for the west, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that was best. We continue next week, inshaAllah, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, shalu ala ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.